So happy Mother's Day. Um, it took me about 15 years to realize, guys, that uh, Mother's Day is more than just um, sending a card to your mother. If you're married, it's also about recognizing your wife uh, because um, she's important too. So it took me a long time, but I got there. Uh, you can ask Janet one of these days about the balloon gift. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 2, the second chapter of Exodus. And I know you may be thinking, Dan, how are you going to pull off a Mother's Day message from the book of Exodus? Um, But I really believe that the best Mother's Day message uh, a pastor could possibly preach is found in Exodus chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bible... Um, If you got a program, I'm pretty sure Christina put the scripture in there somewhere. So if you could just find that. And I just want to begin reading here. Just jump right into our text this morning. Exodus chapter 2. It's got to be one of my most favorite portions of scripture. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. Now he he didn't marry his sister, uh, but it, it was a distant cousin. And that was a common practice. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, I'm going to come back and talk about that word, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. And then notice this in verse 4. His sister, this would be the baby's sister, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. And it wouldn't be uh, that much of a stretch to say that in the original text, literally this is a setup. Verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh, you could actually write in there, just so happen. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent, notice this, and sent, not everybody, but sent her maid. And she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the boy was crying. And she, that would be the daughter of Pharaoh, had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister, baby sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, just so happens to be there, do you want me to go? Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went, so you just love this. I mean, talk about God with a sense of humor. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. I'm going to pay you to nurse your own baby, but she doesn't know that. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she That is Pharaoh's daughter, and she, not the mother, and she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. 
I think I've said this before, I grew up in just an amazing church, Covina First Baptist, still there today, it's over 100 years old. Um, and uh, even though I have a, an undergraduate degree in biblical studies and a master's degree in biblical studies, so does Zach, um, I have to say that I really believe that, that my foundation as a Christian was laid at Covina First Baptist. I mean, the Bible teaching that I got there, what, what an honor, what a privilege. It was amazing. I could literally sit up here today and I can name every single Sunday school teacher that I had. We went to church for two reasons. One, for the donuts. And second, to, to meet girls. But when I became a Christian, I, I looked back at that time and I just thought, wow, God was so gracious to me in allowing me to go to this church. But there's a danger in growing up in church. And that danger is familiarity. What happens is, I mean, how many times have, even if you're not a Christian, even in Western culture, this story is just so branded into our brain. There might be different versions of it. But you could probably go to South Center today, and you could probably walk through Seafood City. And you could probably say, hey, have you heard the story of uh, Moses and, and, and the basket and the baby and Pharaoh's daughter and all that? And they might not know all the details that are set forth here in the text, but most people in our culture know about this story. I mean, I grew up with this story. I mean, there's probably not a person in this room that you haven't heard this story before. You know, Moses in a basket. And the thing about this story is that it's so significant because I really believe in and, and take some time today, it, it, just check this out. I really believe that other than the person of Jesus Christ, as a historical figure, Moses would be number two. Moses would be number two in Islam. Moses would be number two in Christianity. Moses would be number, he might even be number one, in Judaism. Moses, this one man, has changed the world. And, and most of us know this story, and there's a sense in which when you come to church, especially if you've been raised in church, something happens. I don't, I don't really understand it. It happens to me, too, and I have to fight it all the time, even though Zach's a fantastic preacher. There's times when I literally sit right here, and I think to myself, I don't say it out loud, I think to myself, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Now you tell me something I don't know. One of the most difficult things when I taught biblical studies to high schoolers full time, uh, one of the most difficult things is, I mean, imagine five days a week, seven hours a day, teaching the Bible to people who are sitting there saying, I've heard this before. I, I went to church on Sunday. Remember, kids used to come up to me and say, I, I got confirmed. I don't need to hear this. But I want to tell you something about this story. And I want you to do me a favor. So... What's behind it? You can shout it out. Shout out what's behind it. All right, there's, there's a cross. Um, let me be a little more specific. What's behind it? There's a stage. And here's what I want you to do. And this is why I told you guys, I only have one slide this morning. I think I kind of freaked him out. Um, I want to put some characters on this stage. And I want you in your mind's eye to imagine these characters. Because you cannot appreciate this story unless you know the story behind the story. And this is a true story. And some of you will be thinking, Dan, how do you know that this is a true story? Because one of my hobbies is studying Egyptian history. Don't believe me? 
Ask my wife which book I read last time we were at Dan Dunkley's condo in Hawaii. The History of Egypt. Yes, that is what I do for fun. And my whole life I've just been just fascinated with Egyptian history. Sometimes uh, Jen will come in our regular TV room. Sometimes she'll come in the TV room. She'll be like, another film on Egypt, huh? But I just love this stuff. All right, story behind the story. First person I want you to put on the stage is Moses. Moses is really the central figure in this story. What can I tell you about Moses, all right? Um, Probably, people would argue this, probably around 1526-ish, during the 18th dynasty of the Egyptian dynasties. I know that just blesses you here on Mother's Day. Um, But Moses is an interesting name because it comes from, and I don't read the hieroglyphics, but I, I, I like to kind of, you know, think I do. But I can tell you this, that the Hebrew word for water is mo. And if you look at Moses, so you have mo and then S-E-S is, in other words, it's, so mo and then S-E-S means to, to rescue, to draw out. It, it wouldn't be a stretch to say salvation or to pluck from. So Moses' name literally means I was, I was rescued, I was saved out of water. And Moses is is a key figure, not just here, but all throughout the Bible. There's this theme, shameless plug, Tuesday nights, 7 to 8, 30, Lord of Life, Lutheran Church. Starting, I think it's the second week in June, uh, Pastor Phil and I are going to take you through the Old Testament. Those of you that would like to come. That was horrible. But Moses, key figure. And then you have this, this lady, her name is Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. I'm not going to say turn to your neighbor and say Hatshepsut. Probably turn into some kind of Christian swear word. But Hatshepsut, she is a key figure in Egyptian history. She is Pharaoh's daughter. And Hatshepsut is a key figure because her father is not Amosis. And you can see you've got all these names in in your program. Um, Amosis is not her father, but the I, there were three Tutmoses, the I is her father. Now, let me just talk for a little bit about, I'm going to come back to Hatshepsut, but let me just talk a little bit about Amosis, all right? Amosis is the pharaoh in Egypt. The word pharaoh literally means, in Egyptian, big house. Big house. Pharaoh's not a name. You know, if I were walking down the street, and I saw Michaela, uh, and I'd say, hey, Michaela, how's it going, all right? If I was walking down the street in ancient Egypt and I saw a pharaoh, uh, first of all, if I weren't a part of the royal family, he'd off with his head. Uh, but I would never say, hey, pharaoh. Pharaoh is a title. It's like Jesus Christ. Jesus' name isn't Christ. Jesus doesn't go around introducing himself as Christ. His name is Jesus from the Hebrew Yahshua, Joshua. It's a title. It's a designation. So pharaoh is not a name. It's a title. So pharaoh literally means the big house. But in Egypt at various times, there were a multitude of pharaohs. So Moses is, it'd be like Zach is a Moses, okay? He's the big man in the big house. And then I too am a pharaoh, but I'm not the big pharaoh. I'm the little pharaoh, okay? Um, I would be Tutmos. And so a Moses, he reigns over all of Egypt, but he can't do everything. And so he delegates other 
little pharaohs that they have big houses too, but not as big as his house. He's not the big guy on the block. Tutmos, sometimes called Amenhotep, but I don't really think that's true from my reading. I had to throw that in for people that are going to send me an email about Egyptian history. But Tutmos I, he's an interesting guy. He is uh, the pharaoh over what uh, we know as Goshen. This is where the Hebrews lived. Uh, it is a part of Egypt. It's ruled by Egypt. I know you're sitting there going, what the heck does this have to do with Mother's Day? But it will. But Tutmos is a, an interesting pharaoh because he does have sons, but his sons, and we know this for a fact, that his sons early on in their lives died. One guy said that one of his sons died from an abscessed tooth, which did happen in the ancient world. I mean, uh, you know, pretty much all the guys in this room, you'd pretty much be dead if you lived in Egypt because people didn't live that long. And he didn't have any sons. And this is a problem for the I. Why is this a problem? Because if you're Pharaoh, even if you're not the big house Pharaoh, if you don't have a son, you don't have a future. And so he's up here on stage along with Hatshepsut and Moses. He has no future. This, by the way, is the Pharaoh, if you read uh, the chapter right before this, this is the Pharaoh who commanded that all of the little teeny tiny Hebrew babies would be thrown into the Nile. This guy is tipped. This guy has become an instrument of Satan. He is, what he did will be remembered throughout Hebrew history. He's a bad guy. And he's in a bad mood, and Moses shouldn't have made it. Tutmos the first. Interestingly enough, Tutmos the second gets rid of all of the images of Hatshepsut about the time that Moses has to flee to Midian. And even more interesting is that Tutmos the third is most likely the Pharaoh during the time of the Exodus and the plagues when Moses returns. But the I has a problem. He has no sons, but he does have a daughter. She's probably about 14 years old, which is the same age of Miriam. Now, Miriam is not mentioned by name in the text that I read. Uh, she is simply referred to as Moses' sister. But her name, other, other places in Scripture, you ever wonder sometimes you're reading in Scripture, especially in First Chronicles, all those lists of all those names, this is where you find out who's who in, in Hebrew and Egyptian history. Miriam is the sister. She may have even been a playmate with Hashepsut. And then you come to Jochebed. So you put her up on the stage behind me. Jochebed is Moses' mother. She is not mentioned by name here. Her name comes up in other Hebrew literature. And then you have Amram. He is Moses' father. Don't know a lot about him, but he is, in fact, mentioned in Scripture. And then, of course, you have Aaron, who would be Moses' younger brother. He hasn't been born yet. He's not mentioned in this text, but he plays a key role later on in history. And we read here in the text that one day, Miriam is hiding in the bushes. And she's hiding in the bushes to see what would happen. If, if she's... And notice, it's right here in the text. Um, it says right here that she's hiding in the bushes amongst the reeds to see. She's standing at a distance to see what would happen. That implies she doesn't know what's going to happen. And so faith has to be exercised in this plan. And so Moses' mother 
Jochebed, she, she covers this little basket um, with pitch. She waterproofs it. They can't hide the baby any longer. The baby's three months old. And it just so happens that she floats it in a particular place where an Egyptian princess is going to be walking. Chances are this Egyptian princess who's up here on the stage bathed in this particular place every day with her maiden. It's probably about 14 years old. She's a young girl. And she just so happens to come across this basket and there's a crying baby. And she opens up the basket. She, her maid gives it to her. And she says, this is one of the Hebrew babies. How would she know that? Because of circumcision. Because Egyptian babies weren't circumcised. Hebrew babies were after day number eight. It's in the law. And she knows it's a Hebrew baby, but she's got a problem. Because even though, notice, God moves her heart, the scripture says, to compassion, she has a big time problem. What is it? The problem is, is that her father's a nut. And her father is, I believe, demon-possessed. He Basically, if Satan would have had his way, there would be no Hebrew race. And throughout history, Satan has tried to wipe out the Jewish people. And so she has this baby. And Miriam runs up to her, which, by the way, you were not allowed to do unless you knew the person in royalty. You can't just, random people, see, we're just, you know, we live in a democratic republic. So we just don't get that. But you don't just run up to royalty or you wouldn't even get close to him or her. And she says, um, she says to Pharaoh's daughter, verse 7, uh, do you want me to go call a nurse? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I just walk by. I mean, you know, it's, it's me, Miriam. Uh, Hatshepsut. You know, maybe she called her Soup for short. Soup, it's me, Mirror. You want me to go call somebody to nurse this baby? Because Hatshepsut cannot nurse the baby. She's 14 years old. She's a virgin. Uh, all of her maids are virgins. They, they can't nurse a baby. You can't bring the baby back into the palace to have it nursed. And so, sure enough, she says, yes, could you do that for me? And so Miriam arranges it with Moses' mother, who now gets paid to nurse her own baby. I mean, ladies, just imagine, you know, for those of you that are nursing, you actually can stay home, nurse your kid, and get a paycheck. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Interesting thing is that Jewish mothers would normally nurse their children, especially males, at least three years. And I know in our culture, we'd be like, there's no way that's going to happen. But that is very common in Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture. And so when you look at this, and she says in verse 8, take this child away, she's literally saying, I may not see this kid for three years. Three years may go by and I might not see him. Why is that a good thing? Because her dad is enraged with what's going on in Egypt. Hebrew people are, I mean, they're just popping up all over the place. It's like the mission church, man. I mean, you just, you can't swing a dead cat without someone having a baby here. I mean, it's just crazy. Talk about church growth. Pretty soon, a year from now, all the seats in the back will be filled because you're all going to get pregnant. Yeah. And so she says, take this child away. And then notice verse 10, the child grew. That's not three months. That's at least three years. And she, that would be Jochebed, brought Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. Amazing. 
This is a story behind the story. Stephen is considered the first martyr of the early church. And he's about to get stoned um, in the biblical sense where people throw rocks at you. And uh, right before he gives his life for the gospel, he takes all of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, he takes them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and those uh, who are entrenched in Judaism, and he walks them through Hebrew history. And in Acts chapter 7, I don't think you have that scripture, but listen to this. This is Stephen. He says, it was at this time, what time? 1526, 18th dynasty, that Moses was born, and he was lovely. Uh, The Hebrew text uses the word beautiful. really doesn't do justice. Sometimes uh, English just, just lost the translation. Uh, it's, it's weird. This Hebrew word beautiful, and then of course Stephen in the New Testament using Greek uses the word lovely. Uh, I, I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but the word is it's beyond just, you know, this was a good-looking kid. I mean, have you ever seen an ugly baby? Don't raise your hand. But, um, you know, the, all the kids here are beautiful. But there was something weird about Moses. He was a different kind of kid. He was... Um, There was almost, Josephus says that uh, Jewish tradition says there was almost a glow about him. And and I don't know that we can go that far, but you have to admit, in in the history of the world, oh my goodness, does God use Moses or what? And so Stephen says it was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside... So Stephen is describing the story I just read to you. Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of great power. I'll say, he's in line to be Pharaoh. He's not in line to be the big Pharaoh, but nonetheless, he is in line. He is now, in fact, a prince. Stephen is saying... Moses is a prince of Egypt. He's a man of power in words and deed. And as this begins to play out, what you see here is how God is taking all of these players and he's taking one of the darkest periods in Hebrew history and he is shining light upon chaos. Because that's what he does. Moses, I rescued you. Interesting thing, Moses kind of disappears under the reign of Thutmose II. We don't really know what happens to Hatshepsut, but uh, her image is erased in Egyptian culture. You think I'm making this up, but I'm not. I actually talked to a history prof this week who specializes in Egyptian history, and I asked him, I said, hey, what happens? I mean, I knew the answer, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, I said, what happens when you are in Egypt and you see a statue and its face is wiped off? He says, that means that person is disgraced and they don't make it to the afterlife. Every statue that you will see of Hatshepsut, her face has been removed. 
And this happens when Moses flees into the wilderness. And you know what happens. Why he has to flee? Because he kills someone, obviously he kills someone of great importance. And then the Pharaoh finds out who he is and tries to kill him. And so he has to flee to Midian, a place that is outside of Egyptian jurisdiction. He comes back at the reign of Thutmose III, who's up here on the stage. The writer of Hebrews, and if you know anything about Hebrews, Hebrews is... Hebrews is kind of a weird book. If Hebrews chapter 11 is probably the most famous. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, what you have is talk about people on a stage. You have this whole stage of people that are paraded before us as people who had faith in God during very difficult times. And notice who's in Hebrews chapter 11. I just want to read one verse to you. Verse 24, the writer says, By faith... Moses, when he had grown up, grown up where? Well, Stephen says grown up in the Egyptian household. When he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused that. He walked away from that life. And yet God used this story for his glory. We know how the rest of the story goes. He's in the Midian wilderness for 40 years. He's probably 40 years old when he has to flee. He comes back 40 years later. When he comes back, he would have been around 80 years old. And he comes back and the plagues happen and he leads the Egyptians uh, through these plagues and the Hebrews are affected by the plagues and the Red Sea is parted and it's, it's by far the most significant thing in Hebrew history, the parting of the Red Sea. Moses, Moses, Moses. He's all over this story. But he's not really the guy that I want to spend the last couple of moments talking about. I want to talk about Jochebed. And just the, the remaining moments that we have left, I just want to bring this kind of land the plane here, Jochebed. Because really, when you read this story in Exodus chapter 2, I think that you can easily say there's five things that we can say about this lady. Number one, number one, is that desperate times do not foil the plans of God. I mean, amen. Now, Zach and I have decided we're never going to talk politics up here, okay? Because that's, that's not what we're about. You want to talk politics, we can talk after church, or we can go out to coffee and talk politics. But, dear ones, no matter how you slice it, we are in so much trouble. And it's more difficult for me because I'm one of the oldest people here. I'm not the oldest, but I'm one of the oldest individuals in our church. And the older I get, the more I'm just like, oh my gosh, I am so fearful for the, the world of Andrew Gazelle. I am. And, 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 and the little Imes baby. I mean, I start freaking out. And I think, what kind of a world? I mean, at best, maybe I've got 30 years left. We just bought a new house. We took out a 15-year loan because might not be around in 30 years. <laughs> but I think about the world we live in. Really, Dan, is our world so bad that our president is throwing babies into the Potomac? Are babies being thrown into the Green River? I don't think so. I mean, we are talking about a dark, dark time in Hebrew history. And what does Moses' mother do? Oh, just hide the baby. 
and we can't hide it anymore. Let's just put the baby in a wicker basket, float it down the Nile in front of Hatshepsut, and Miriam, you just stand in the bushes, and you make sure at the right time, you just, I mean, can you imagine the faith of this woman? She doesn't know how the rest of the story is going to turn out. She is just trusting God. Desperate times don't foil the plans of God. God doesn't wake up in the morning because God doesn't sleep. God doesn't wake up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, they are in so much trouble. And number two, God honors, he always honors faithfulness. This would be number two on our five conclusions here. He always honors faithfulness. What God calls you and I to do is to be faithful to the things that he has given to us. I mean, you might be, and I, I'm, this is not a diss on custodians. I was a custodian for many years. Custodial services got me through school. You might be a custodian, and nobody really notices what you do. God does. You might be someone that, in, in our society, we don't really put you up there and honor you and, and, and say that you're really contributing, but if you're doing what God has called you to do, whether that is the highest job in the land or the lowliest job in the land, if you're, a, you know, the sad thing is, and I do see this turning around a little bit, but our society will actually, I've actually heard people say to young women, don't bother getting a college education because by the time you get married and you stay home with your kids, you just threw it away. What could be more heartless than that? I'm so glad that my girls are educated. I'm so glad that my girls are smart and sharp and contribute to society. God always honors faithfulness. And I just want to say this, and I know Zach would back me 100% or I wouldn't say it. Stay-at-home moms, there is no greater job than what you are doing. There is no greater job. No greater job. Dan, what's the greatest job? There isn't one. And for those of you that aren't able to stay home, listen, Janet and I, we've done everything. I've stayed home, she's stayed home, we both stayed home, she stayed home and worked. Uh, there's been times where I've worked, she hasn't worked. I mean, do whatever you have to do to make it work is what I'm saying, but God will honor that. And then number three, God always gets the final say. Uh, the I didn't get the final say. In fact, I mean, how hilarious is this? Moses ends up growing up in his household. And he's Jewish. Should have been joined to the alligators or crocodiles. I can never figure out what's why. Uh, but God gets the final say. Here, right underneath his nose, is the prince of Egypt. God gets the final say. Parents, do not despair. Do not get to that place where you're just like, man, it's just the way it is. We're just going to have to live in this tiny little house the rest of our lives. Just going to drive this. Drive this crummy little Subaru that's falling apart the rest of our lives. You know, there's no way my kid's going to make it private. Don't do that. God gets the final say. He got the final say here. And then number four, God loves a good plan. God loves a good plan. I always love to talk to young people who are in their early 20s. Um, can't give you the guy's name, but I'm working with a guy right now. Called me up a couple of weeks ago, and he goes, uh, Dan, I, I just... I." I want to be married. And Bob, not his real name, I said, well, Bob, here's the thing. You need to get on the computer and plug in eHarmony.com. And he said, no, that just seems just so cheap. And I said, well, my, my daughter met her uh, husband through eHarmony. Kind of changed his tune there. They're happily married. Come over to the house tonight for Chinese at six. I mean, how else are you going to meet people? What are you going to do as a Christian? Are you going to hang out in a bar? I, I know some of you, by the way, have 
met your spouse in the bar, so I'm not approving that, I'm just acknowledging that. But, you know, listen, God loves a good plan. You've got to have a plan. It just oh, it drives me nuts when Christians just say, well, Pastor Dan, I just don't know how I'm going to ever do this. And I, can't, I don't have a job. How am I going to find a job? I guess I'll just stay home and pray. No, nope, because if you do that, you're not going to find a job. In the words of my dad, and I'm going to have to clean it up a little bit. You want a job? Go out there and get one. <laughs> Go out there and pound the pavement, Edmondson. Knock on doors. God loves it when you have a plan, a vision. It might not be what's going to happen, but you've got to have a plan. Did, did Miriam have a plan? Did Jochebed have a plan? Did Amram up here have a plan? You bet they had a plan. Did they know it was going to work? Nope. Because that's where faith comes in. Hebrews chapter 11. And then number five, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Have you ever noticed that things, have you ever noticed this, the things that you worry about the most don't usually come to fruition? Have you noticed that? How much time do we spend just stressing about stupid things? I mean, I think it was Jesus that said, you know what, tomorrow's got enough trouble, don't even worry about it, just praise God today. What's going to happen Monday morning? I don't know. I don't really care. What happens is I want to be faithful to God today. And one of the things that I, that I have learned in my life is that God does far beyond what we can ever imagine. I, I came in here this morning. There were three people in this, I'm going to call it the sanctuary this morning. There were three people in here setting up. It was early in the, in the morning. I think it was Ben and, and someone else was helping him. I think it might have been uh, Zach Bristol and, uh, and Sean Drew. And as I came in, Sean Drew went to shake my hand. I gave him a hug. And he, he said to me, and I'm, I'm going to mess this up, but he, he said to me, we were right here. He said, Dan, look at all the seats in the back. Can you imagine those filled? No, I mean, you know, of course, pastor, <laughs> want a big church? Yes, we'd love to see the seats filled. So after I checked my motivation, I said, wow, imagine the impact in Renton that we could have. I am believing that the day will come that we will have to move out of here or we'll have to go to a second service or we'll have to plant some new churches because God is going to do much more than we can imagine. Amen. That's the kind of God he is. He can create, I, I got to go to Lowe's or Home Depot. He can create something out of nothing. He doesn't need existing material. Massa worship team um, to come back up here. And I'd like you to stand. And I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for the moms and the moms-to-be. And as April and Carol so eloquently read that reading, I want to just pray for you and your families. Because it is a dark day that we're living in. But that doesn't take God by surprise. And the story behind your story is that God is working behind the scenes to put things together. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for Mother's Day. I thank you for my mom, Linda. I pray for her salvation today, Lord. I pray that something would happen in her life, Lord, where you would reach out and you would draw her unto yourself. I thank you, Lord, for everything my mom put up with, with myself and my two brothers. 
Lord, we just give you praise for our mothers. All of us in this room have a mother. And Lord, I thank you so much for the courage and the faith of Jochebed and Amram and the decisions that they made. We're here today because of a mother that took a risk, that had a plan, and stood back to watch what you would do. God bless you.